Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O-N-E-O. I'm a DJ, radio presenter, and promoter. This is the podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. I'd like to welcome my next guest, DJ, radio presenter, label manager of Soundway Records, and fellow ESCA sister, Alice Whittington. Hello, hi. <laughs> Yes, my name is Alice Whittington, but I also have a Chinese name. Oh, <laughs> Ming Chuan Whittington. Oh, I but didn't Ming know that. Chuan Whittington is a bit of a weird name. <laughs> so, my parents gave me an English first name. Oh, so tell me a bit about your background. Uh, so, I am Australian. Yes, and um, my dad is, I guess, what you could call white Australian. Um, several generations and my mum is Chinese Malaysian and she moved to Australia 40 years ago. Wow and And you were born there? Yes yeah in Australia. Mm -hmm. And when did you guys move here? I moved here 13 years ago to London. Oh my god that's like when I moved here. Yeah well you know we've been going through that whole visa process of trying to like desperately clinging on into the (laughs) UK and trying not to feel like even more of an outsider. Yeah but you know when um the things like Brexit happen you're like I want a refund on my citizenship. I know I was like this isn't as nearly as valuable as it I thought it was. Yeah. (laughs) I mean it's still great but obviously yeah. So you must get the question like where are you from? Where are you from from a lot? Where are you really from? Yeah, all the time. Like unsolicited, I think, is the the main thing. I, it's, you know, I'll just be sitting in a taxi and the driver will think that's an op- a good opening conversation start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, do we have to go there straight away? Like I think it is something that people gravitate to really quickly is trying to identify your ethnicity, you know, rather than, you know, what do you do for a job Mm -hmm. or um, what are your hobbies? Yeah, (laughs) It's like, let's talk about your ethnicity straight up. Because you're not a human, you're an object. Like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, it's like I've got to categorise you straight away to know where you stand in my life. And I get that's human nature, but it's for the person that is being categorised, it feels really objectifying, like you say. Yeah. What's the intention there? It's like, mm. are you just trying to put me in a box? You're just making these assumptions and like, yeah. I don't know. It's so low. It's a loaded question yeah. because, you know, you. it's probably not going to just stop there. Once they ask you where are you really from, yeah. then they just keep asking more questions. And then, and then it just comes again, like you say, about the assumptions of what you represent because you've told them you're ethnic and I don't know history of addresses in the world you know I've I've lived in Australia but I've also lived in France and Switzerland for a little bit and UK and I do actually feel kind of British I mean I'm hopefully going to get my passport soon but I don't want to sound like a jerk if someone's like where are you from like I'm a global citizen (laughs) I'm a citizen of the world (laughs) I'm thinking that in my head though yeah citizen of the world (laughs) yeah and also because I although I have a Chinese name Mm -hmm. um I go by my English name yeah and so it that also throws people they're like oh but you've got you've got like an English name so what's with that as if like and then it makes me feel like maybe I don't have a right oh my god yeah I've never had that where someone asked me why 
That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because they're trying to work out whether maybe I was adopted. Again, it's just very intrusive kind of questioning Mm. and that people feel they have a right to ask. And I think that's why. It's the entitlement. Yeah. What is your relationship with your Chinese name? So it's a generational, it was selected by one of those name, I don't know what they call astrologists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So in my family, it's a tradition for each generation to have the first, um, same first name. Yeah. And then you're defined by your second name. And so all my mum and all her aunties are Jin Shen, Jin Jin, Jin To, Jin Lu, Jin Pen. And then um, there's one brother called Wing Ho. And so, and me and my brother are Ming Chuan, which is me, and he's Ming Jiang. So it's kind of like it's selected on the year when you're born, the meaning, you know, the most auspicious, as they say, um, yeah. characters and meaning for that particular um, time of the year that you were born and the, what it means to the family, what will bring the best luck. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so deep. It's really deep, you know, like, and for ages, I, I didn't really think about it as a kid. It means a lot to me. Ming Chuan means shining river. Wow. And my brother is um, Ming Jiang, which is like shining even bigger river. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh why? <laughs> Shining ocean. Yeah, like, I was like, oh, thanks. Oh. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I guess, again, that comes to the kind of patriarchal system, I suppose. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's really, it's something that really makes you feel connected. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, my Korean name, Suyun, it means, uh. I think it means good talker. <laughs> Well, that's appropriate for this. Yeah, I think that's good. I like talking. Yeah, it's yeah. All right. I asked my mom, and she was like, it "Means good talker." I was like, "Okay, cool." Like, well, no, it's not as nice as shining river. No, it's beautiful. I love it. A good talker. I mean, the gift of the gab is it's important, right? Extremely important. <laughs> and did she have like any kind of reason for choosing it, or? Um, I'm not sure. My sister's name is, so mine is Yun and my sister's is Suna. Okay, so, I actually, so you also have the same first. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't actually know what her, hers mean. Maybe it's like good listener or something. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, just us two just having a conversation to each other. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I chose my name when I was six, like Annie. Oh, you chose your own I chose first name? My, oh so my we God. moved to Canada. I didn't know English or anything. I go straight into school, six years old. Um, and this is what I've actually figured out, like, since joining ESEA Sisters and stuff, is because of all the unpacking that we've been doing. Mm. I, I realized that, like, when I, it started from when I was six when we moved, and I didn't even kind of think about it that deep until recently where I just thought, oh, my God, like, I didn't understand English. I didn't know, under, I didn't understand anything that was going on like conversationally or where I was but I understood that my name was inconvenient I felt like the other I felt really? different yeah I mean why else your, would, your uh, name like Sue Sue Yen they couldn't pronounce that. they couldn't pronounce that yeah wow. so when I was six I was like annoyed and we watched I watched the VHS straight to VHS movie of Annie oh my god <laughs> like no the way. orphan and like it, the sequel she goes to London as well but anyway that could have gone so, so badly imagine a six-year-old who doesn't know English like go pick your own name like oh my god yeah imagine if you'd watched a different movie I know. 
<laughs> but I'm ratatouille. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad I chose my name. But yeah, that's so like, cool. Um, do you feel ownership over that then? I do. Yeah. I think maybe because I'm living the life of the orphan. Not. not orphan, oh my god. But she went to London. Her name's Annie. Whatever. But um, no, because I've I, maybe because I chose it. Yeah. I I feel connected to both. Mm. So I I never felt like I had to choose, but recently I felt more like wanting to connect with Suyeon. Mm. I think I remember you posting something ages ago on Instagram about this is my my real name, and I yeah. was like, oh, it's so nice. It, it I don't know if you've ever watched or read um, Tales of Earthsea. No. Okay, so there's a Studio Ghibli adaptation yeah. of the book as well, but it's all about <clears throat> how you have a name that you use in like kind of common parlance but to know someone's real name yeah like commands this like type of magic wow. and like it's really cool i think the author is ursula dewitt or something like that but um anyway i was obsessed with fantasy books as a kid and still <laughs> and, and movies and stuff yeah i just remember reading that and and going nobody really knows what my real name is it was like a little thing that I held on to yeah because also I was ashamed at school because no one could pronounce it anyway mm. um and also over here oh god you know the god. word minging yeah. is like something's really ugly or yeah. gross or slutty or something mm. I don't know so you know if whenever I would say it to British people they'll be like oh my god ming and like I they just, make that association. Yeah, straight away. And so, that, yeah, I just didn't really want people to know my real name. I just yeah. kept it for the special people that would that would respect it, basically. Yeah. That's nice, though, to, to also, like, have that to protect yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But then it, is it, like, should we have to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ideally not. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you about ESEA Sisters. So I've known known you for years, yeah. but we've recently reconnected by joining this collective together. And you were kind of one of the first people in it? Yeah. We were like a group of 11 in a WhatsApp. Ying Swen, she was the one kind of put the initial call out and said, I really want to get stuff started. And I don't know, I'd... I'd been feeling it for a long time yeah um and I'd been embroiled in <laughs> racial furor previously <laughs> but just been alone in it um sort of feeling like I was fighting at my own, own battle, battle. Yeah, yeah like totally fe- feel you yeah so to be almost like rallied to come together to be something stronger that could actually make change was really appealing yeah yeah how about you I think I joined like I think the WhatsApp group was like maybe 30 and now we're all part of this Discord, um, which is similar to like a Reddit forum kind of type thing to people yeah. who aren't familiar with Discord. And I think there's about 600 of us now. Yeah, there's over 600 on the Discord now. Cr- yeah. Oh my God. And this is only a forum, what, like... Start of April. Start of, <clears throat> yeah, start of April. Start of April was when it was formed. Wow. So... But it just comes to show we were all needing something like this, like the, how quickly everyone just came together. And just they like, all said that, I need this. It's that kind of feeling of, oh, I can talk about this stuff and people aren't going to make fun of me mm-hmm. or put me in a box. Yeah. And it's just such a, a relief. I remember like one of the first like few days of joining the Discord because it's super organized. <laughs> we have so <laughs> many subcategories. I know. 
it's outrageous we have like categories and then subcategories and then subcategories it's amazing but there was one that was like childhood traumas yeah unpacking in a childhood uh, yeah yeah yeah. and i just remember everyone talking about bringing lunches to school oh Oh, my god i was bawling when i was reading that because i felt that too my Mm. mom would make she'd wake up like at what six in the morning and make amazing food and in asia like we don't have breakfast food we just eat Mm. breakfast is time of day yeah so we would just (laughs) Like, you know, like for lunch, my mom would make rice and Korean food. And then I would just be ashamed of it because it smelled different. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, I would die to have Korean food. I know, cooked by your mom. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when you're a kid in a playground, you're all comparing lunches, you know. It's like a little bit of a competition Mm. slash um, I want to see what the other kids are doing kind of thing. So when you're immediately kind of the person with the lunch that nobody else wants, you know, you kind of want to reject that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into music? How did your family enjoy <laughs> when, you t- <laughs> when you told them you were like, I'm going to go into music, I think? Yeah. Uh, that didn't go so well. So I was thwarted <laughs> at many turns to trying to get into music by my own family, um, which is ironic because my dad is a professional composer and pianist <gasps> and lecturer in electronic music. What? I know, at university. And I really wanted to study. And my mum is in... It works for an art gallery, you know. There was so, so like arty. they have creative blood in them. So why why the hate? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was I don't know. It it was that kind of I mean, I just guess it's a parent thing of of thinking that your kid could do better than they did, maybe. I don't can't speak on their behalf, yeah. I suppose. But definitely in terms of family influence my gungung who's my maternal grandfather is very very strongly pro the top four or five professions that asian kids are expected to follow you know uh law medicine um engineering finance commerce kind of Mm -hmm. thing yeah i tried i i sort of put the idea out that i wanted to study music when i was about 16 and you know typical um, mom was like, oh, you're not that good anyway. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Oh <laughs> I was like, it doesn't mean that music doesn't mean I have to, you know, perform. I just yeah. love it. Um, she's like, do commerce. And so I did do it. But I also did foreign languages as well. So as a kind of the stuff that I really wanted to study. Um, and to be honest, commerce has come in handy, I suppose, international business or whatever you want to call it. Um and then after about seven years of working, you know, floating between jobs and not really finding it satisfying, mm-hmm. I just quit suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> Were you doing like DJing and stuff? Like what? Yes, yeah, so I did like a short like DJ course um, for like, you know, four lessons or something, um, whereby they teach you how to use CDJs um, just because I was really interested and I've always been the person in the office when I was working in corporate kind of stuff or and government stuff. Um, I was always the person to 
control the playlist mm-hmm. during the day. Like I was motivational playlist, hour of power at the end of the day. Hour of power. Yeah. That's so cute. Oh, my God. Like, like I was probably wasting a little bit of time at work, <laughs> motivating everyone with music, but I, f- I really enjoyed it and everyone loved it. So yeah. I was like, I kind of really feel like I should maybe do this yeah. more. And then I just started um, once I kind of learned how to use CDJs, I then played like lots of friends parties and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. nothing big. But then I just kind of felt like I really loved it yeah. and it seemed to go well. So I quit my job completely, which <laughs> I think I remember talking to you about this ages ago when you're like, I think I want to become a full-time DJ. And I just looked at you like, oh God, good luck, good luck. <laughs> I, I talked to my friends like that I was speaking to at the time, they were like, you were so scared. And I was like, I don't remember that anymore. Ooh. Did I block that out? You, you were scared. I remember talking to you I about scared? it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> Probably because you blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, I think all my traumas. Yeah. Like, You're like, what? it's fine, it's fine. I'm yeah. in denial. Yeah, it's fine. It worked out okay, yeah. I think. Oh my God, of yeah. course. You're doing amazing. Oh. And I think it's so, I don't know, especially with that, pressure and I'm not sure if that came from your family but with that pressure of as my mom would say getting a real job um yeah (laughs) going against expectations um cultural as well as family expectations it takes a lot more courage I think now you are an amazing label manager as well tell me about that yeah I guess this is where maybe I never expected to end up because I always thought I would just be a DJ yeah um, but also full-time DJing was really hard graft. I ended up, you know, missing out on re- lots of really special moments in my life because I'd be playing Tuesday mm-hmm. to Saturday most yeah. evenings because I just needed to make money. Like, yeah. especially when you quit your job, mm-hmm. you're just kind of... Like, those are your working hours, exactly. basically. Yeah. And, you know, I'd finish at 4 a.m., get the bus home, get home at 5, <laughs> you know, and just be like exhausted and then yeah it just it became quite lonely yeah um and I appreciate that a lot of people go through that with shift work and that kind of stuff as well but it just still didn't quite feel like it was enough so I went and volunteered to run a festival in Cuba wow yeah (laughs) god (laughs) so traumatic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was like the head of logistics because wow. I was like okay I can finally use my corporate background of event management yeah. and and business management and stuff so and they these people were like we've never put on an, an event before but we'd like to do an international electronic music festival in Cuba wow I was like okay you guys are insane but I want to be involved <laughs> I'm into it yeah and that's where um I met uh my current boyfriend but also the guy Mars Claret who owns the label that I now work for um and he's like yeah look if you can run a 5,000 person electronic music festival in an in a communist dictatorship with no internet or (laughs) printers or anything I think you could probably run a record label wow (laughs) oh my god so when did you start that shortly uh a year later yeah yeah I went and worked in a record store, um, Sounds of the Universe in Soho so for, fun. yeah, but, well, I was working there and then I started doing um, stuff at um, at the label and then it became a full-time thing. So, yeah, 
that was just a really nice outcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's where I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember when uh, we were first kind of talking in the Discord group about what we were doing at the experience, like just all the microaggressions. Yeah. And what kind of stuff have you faced DJing and in the music world? I mean, where do we start? I was about to say, how much time do we have? (laughs) I mean, being asked to DJ at some kind of diversity event where they're like, we need an Asian DJ because there's going to be people there that are Asian and we need representation. And and they booked me and they were like, can you look more Asian? Oh, my God. I'm sorry, is my face not enough for you? Hey, no. They're like, can you just dress in a way? Like, and I was just like, okay. And they're like, and you have to play only Asian (gasps) music. And I was like, okay, why? Like, that's Asian people don't listen to only Asian music. Yeah. (laughs) They do have like other tastes, you know, like hip hop or. Yeah. Whatever. Um, like we're human beings just like you. I know. And I think that's why I felt that was. Um, we're not a character. Yeah, exactly. And the promoter that booked for me for it as well saved my name in his email contacts as Chinese Whittington. Oh my God. And I only found it after the event when he emailed me about another gig and it came up as two Chinese Whittington. Oh. <laughs> and I was just like. Oh my god. my god! You don't even like save my name. You just I am, I am Chinese. <laughs> oh my god, that's so offensive. It's yeah. It was really. I mean, obviously, I never worked with him again. But I don't know. I didn't want to also blow things up, so I just kind of left it. Yeah. And didn't accept any more gigs from him, and he just eventually disappeared. But I didn't say, "Oh my god, this is so offensive," because at the time I was just trying to graft. And yeah. get and get money, which yeah. is so frustrating that you have to put aside. I guess you're not necessarily your morals, but put aside your own needs. I think there, there's a point where you're like, "Am I doing a disservice to myself by shooting myself in the foot in terms of like closing doors before I'm even like close to the door?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I totally get that. I think, but post. Atlanta shootings post joining ESEA mm-hmm. sisters. I'm just like, I don't care. Yeah, same. I don't care. I'll get a job. Like, I'll figure something out, but I can't stand for this shit anymore. Like, I remember one gig, I ended up turning this down because. <laughs> so the Ivy restaurant have like an, inf- like a fusion one. Um, <laughs> I, tr- I, I knew one of the people that was Did the it? opening. DJ? Yeah, yeah, no, she wasn't DJ. She was a violinist as part of the thing. Oh, my God. And they're all white and they're all dressed in these weird pseudo kimono outfits that were like sexy with the like up to the – did you see that? No, I didn't see the pic- – okay. oh, my God. So okay, I I got, just, you oh. go first. So there was this one – there was this uh, uh, agency, like these booking agencies, they hit me up. This was like a year after I worked with them. So I was like, oh, it's weird that they're hitting me up. And I was like, I'll just see what gigs that they have. And they're like, we have like the Ivy opening in Manchester. These are the details. It's for like the Asian restaurant. And I was like, okay, cool. They were like, oh, yeah. So the owner really wants uh, the DJ to wear an outfit. And I was like, what is the outfit? Oh, I think I saw this. Yeah, Yeah, I saw this. Uh, I sent this. Um, It was a drawing of... (laughs) 
first of all no they were like i want you to wear a headdress and i was like what is this? Uh, you need to put your he- my headphones I, on huh? i know <laughs> I, I was like i wear glasses and i have to wear headphones like this is gonna be a nightmare and then they were like it's a dragon head headpiece and i was like no this they're not serious and then they sent like a drawing of what the actual outfit was and it was like a black dress with like wing type stuff and i was it was meant to be like a red dragon and i was like i'm not i'm not wearing this like i'll wear a plain black dress if you want but i'm not wearing this and then why do they have to be so tokenistic about it i don't and then um and then it made sense to me like oh you didn't have any djs on your uh, roster that were asian that's why Mm. you like remembered me because i'm asian dj and then um yeah i just said you you do realize how offensive this is and i was like and and then did they they they, the agency was like i i i see where you're coming from and i understand but like make or break situation can you do it anyway please they were like we get it but like can you just do it yeah basically um they were like the owner really wants this outfit and i was like no i'm not wearing this oh my god which explains so did you do the gig in the end no i I couldn't oh my god i would have died no. I died. The fact that that someone had gone to the effort of designing this and it was approved and then it was sent to a marketing agency or or booking agency so to then many people. convince like it's gone through a lot and that's what scares me is that people genuinely think it's okay and I think it's I think it's the same restaurant I can't remember what it's called something Asian I can't remember what it, anyway so for their launch party there were oh no God. Asian people performing. But they put these four, like this girl group of like violin, saxophone, DJ or whatever into like these sexy kimonos, by the way, which are really like traditional demure Mm. Japanese dress, you know, they're not meant to be like showing leg. Also, they're not costumes. Exactly. (laughs) Like, let's just start there. Yeah. And they did their hair in like an ancient Chinese style. I was like, okay, so you're also mashing this all up and then they had like asian makeup oh my god i can't to make them look more asian like fox eye and oh all this like stuff and then like i saw the photos and i don't know if you saw but in the men's toilet they have an antique japanese samurai uh, you know outfit mm-hmm. like the, like beautiful like yeah like same similar to what you see in the vna yeah um, in the bathroom urinating <gasps> Into the men's urinals. Oh my god! I know. Like, how disrespectful can you be of that amazing piece of history, expensive antique or whatever as well? Like, not that that really matters, but the cultural significance of that. And then, like, they had all these pictures of people standing next to it, like pretending to <gasps> take a wee next to it oh because it god. was it was facing into the, you know, they they positioned it in a way that it looked like the samurai was urinating I just made me so infuriated and I and I messaged the girl that I knew that was the violinist and she's a really sweet person but she's like look it was you know it's not that bad you know it was a beautiful day and everyone had an amazing time and we all looked amazing and blah 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 she just did not see anything wrong with it she got really offended by me saying that this is not cool also Um, it's not we're not asking your opinion when we're saying that something is offensive. It's like this isn't a com- this isn't a debate. This yeah. isn't this yeah. is this is a fact. Yeah, exactly. Racism is not a feeling. I'm not like I feel 
like this is racist it's a fact mm. oh that pisses me off yeah i know and 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 it just means that complicity in it is debatable like people think that they can just say oh no i'm not part of it even if they totally are <laughs> if, as long as they just deny that they've got anything that they're not racist yeah then then they don't have to worry about it and it's a shame for such a large chain as well yeah to think that was a good idea like it's not funny no no and i find a lot of anti-asian racism is on the mocking jokey side Oh, which totally. makes it easier for people to be like, yeah, but it's it's like it's a joke or it's, it's well, like, you, yeah. no, that's you're <laughs> it's still racist. Well, you think about Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany yeah. is one of the most beloved films. One of my old friends is like, it's her favorite film. And I'm like, you do realize that's a white guy mocking a Japanese man with fake teeth and. Everyone's watched eye, that movie. Yeah. You know? I think his, they did something to his eyes. As yes, well. they did. Yeah, they taped his taped eyes. His, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's but just, in films, well, did you know more white women have won Oscars for playing Asian women than Asian women have won Oscars for there was playing only, themselves? There was only one, the Korean actress who just won. Yeah. That was the first Korean. Yeah, it was first Korean because there was um, another so, one okay. before that. But still. Oh, great, too. Yeah, too. <laughs> Yay. And how many Oscars? 90, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 90 years or yeah, but that, oh, well, that, the fact that they've won more Oscars for playing Asian women. That's crazy. We're not, we can't even play ourselves. I know. I know. Yeah, it's like Scarlett Johansson. Oh, my God. Don't get me started. Or what's the name that was supposed to be the Hawaiian girl? Oh, um, Emma Stone. Emma Stone as well. Supposed to be part Asian. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we could go on forever. <laughs> Joining ESEA Sisters, is this like the first time you felt community and... You mean Asian mm-hmm. related? I mean, definitely on a large scale and to the depth that we discuss some really intense things that I never thought I would be able to talk to people with, especially strangers. A lot mm-hmm. of us haven't even met yet because of lockdown mm-hmm. or we're in different parts of the world. So to connect with people on these things is, even though we don't necessarily know each other that well, is really um, affirming. How about you? Yeah, I've never had this. Mm. Like, ever. I don't think I knew where all the Asian people were in London. I know. Because I went to an Eastern Margins event. Mm. And Eastern Margins, it's like ESEA community that run events. And they have a radio show on NTS. And I went to, I think, maybe two of their events. But I remember the last one, it was right before lockdown happened. And the room was just, like, full of like Asian people and I was like where do you live like where are you guys because you're here mm. but I've never seen you out like where where do you go I know and also you just feel like a weirdo going oh you're Asian can we be friends <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean I but always this is what people must feel like day to day and I'm like oh like this is connect this is human connection like yeah I just because I, I always feel like the other yeah I was the only SEO kid in my school up until age 12 or 14 I can't remember but um until my now best friend came along and yeah. she's Chinese Vietnamese mix but like literally we Wait, like two... I'm not your best friend oh my god <laughs> you can be she doesn't live here anymore <laughs> fine <laughs> sorry Nian, you've been replaced um 
But, you know, we were like two peas in a pod after that, yeah. you know, going to like photo booths and yeah. getting stickers done and getting Sanrio stuff. And it was just so liberating. But, um, you know, it's that feeling of I don't know anybody else that looks like me. Mm-hmm. And through school, you know, even to my teens, like Australia has a lot of anti-Asian racism and in law as well. There was the white Australia policy for like 100 years that only got dismantled in the 1970s and that specifically banned Asian immigrants because they saw them as an economic threat because they had the gold rush in late 1800s and loads of Asian people came over. Because of that, Australia and well, and I should say the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. Britain, saw that as a massive threat so they actually – banned even when there were like refugees and stuff coming it was really hard for them to come in um uh, because they were not allowed to come in and only like got dismantled in the 1970s in australia so it has this kind of demographic legacy of oh there's hardly any asian people here so this is our country but that's because they weren't allowed in (laughs) because you banned them (laughs) so when they when they did open up in the 80s and my mum came in the late 70s, I think. When it did open up in the 80s, then more people started coming in and then people freaked out in Australia. Um, and by the 90s, when I was like, you know, in school, there was this, this um, political party called One Nation led by Pauline Hanson. And it was oh literally, their, their main rhetoric was anti-Asian immigration that, you know, we were called a swarm of rats that were coming into country and my one of my local mayors like called children that were mixed white and Chinese like dogs and mongrels and stuff and so then I was called that at school by people that I thought were friends they're like oh no you're a mongrel aren't you (gasps) you're a half-caste mongrel and I'd be like um am I they're like yeah the mayor said so like just so matter of fact and I was like okay I guess if an adult says in authority says that I am I guess I am and that had a massive impact on me in my identity and trying to reject as much of my Asian-ness when mm-hmm. I was young as possible because I was like, I just didn't want to be called that kind of thing. Oh, my God, that's disgusting. But, yeah, like what was it like in Canada, I suppose? It, it was quite a big community there, no? Or Yeah, we basically live and have lived in an area that's like Koreatown, basically. Like there's just nice. loads of Koreans there, which makes me feel better with the rise in anti-Asian hate knowing that my family are surrounded by Asian people. So that makes me feel a lot better. Um, I guess maybe that's why I didn't realize it so much until I moved here. I and remember I you said like, that, yeah. Oh, okay. Shit. <laughs> my old flatmate, only a few years ago, in our home, he like pulled his eyes. And oh I was like... God. And at the time, I was like, I can't have an argument with this because I have to live here. So I just like left the room, but... Makes it immediately feel like there's the a power dynamic that. Well, I'm just like, well, I'm just not like a a woman person in yeah. this room. I'm a Korean woman here. That's how you see me. Mm-hmm. I'm just instantly that first defined by that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, then you immediately see like how they see you, and then mm-hmm. it's all warped. Yeah. So like, then you start distrusting all the conversations you've. Had. The trust is gone. Yeah. And you have you almost have to have like write a revisionist history of your relationship when you realize. Mm-hmm. Or not even relationship, you know, your experiences. Yeah. When you start kind of realising that's what they're doing to you. Like, how did you feel your place was in London society? Like, I came here thinking 
And to be honest, it is a lot better here than Australia, thinking that I would be able to blend in. Do you feel like that? <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> I mean, like I think I said the other day, someone yeah. called me Chinese flu in the park. Yeah, I mean, I won't step out of the house without headphones because I don't want anyone like fucking up my energy when I'm like out. Mm, that's a good idea. Because I can't, hearing things like that. Mm. I remember like once I was out like walking crossing the street and these two guys stopped their car and just shouted konnichiwa and then like were laughing hysterically and then drove off so to me that's like a drive-by racist yeah abuse and i was like one why is that funny and two why would you do that Mm. it's just and i think for ages i used to think oh it's just because they're trying to get my attention or not even flirt but like actually it's all about like dominance and power really yeah. like you're not doing that to have a, to start up a fun conversation mm. you're doing it to intimidate the person and you're going to get off on that and that's what's making you laugh is the feeling that you're you're in charge or you've disarmed them you yeah. know made them feel vulnerable or something and and you know people can do that in all kinds of different ways not just race way but like it's like if some guy drives past passing and says show us your tits you know <laughs> okay cool <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> People aren't going to do it. They know you're not going to do it. Like, yeah. It's, but it's it's that kind of... It's a power thing. Yeah. I get, I get really nervous, like, walking down the street now. Mm, me too. <laughs> That's sad. I know. <laughs> Luckily, I've got a big dog who is completely harmless but looks big, so people don't mess with me. <laughs> what are your socials for people to... Oh, I mean, actually, I could plug is that I did an all Malaysian vinyl set. Yes, I did the see vinyl this. Factory. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So did that drop already? Yeah, that's been around for maybe two weeks. It's on their YouTube and their website and Mixcloud and stuff. Um, and I'm going to do another one in a couple of weeks' time. I might explore a different part of Asia this time, yeah. but I figured I'd start with Malaysia because that's where my mum's from. But I might go Japan. Oh, I don't know. Haven't decided yet. But yeah, yeah I am. My DJ name is Norsica, which is N O R. S-I-C-A-A and it's that on all platforms. Amazing. Do you yeah. think that's something that you might kind of carry on doing, that kind of exploring different music from different Asian countries? Totally. I feel like, you know, you, you're tapped into like, especially with the, the hip hop scene, um, you know, music of black origin is massive mm-hmm. and it's had a huge influence Um but I feel like Asia is still really untapped. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a language barrier thing, especially with like, um, you know, not necessarily using um, the Roman alphabet. Yeah. So you can't easily Google search Asian music because yeah, it's yeah. written in Thai yeah. or Chinese or Viet or something. Yeah. Um, so unless you can access those languages and know what to look for, it's, it's a lot harder to just troll for music yeah, and course. explore yeah um so i feel like that's something i really want to get involved in and there's just an incredible like variety of music i don't know about you people only seem to think of asian music as k-pop or like oh my wailing chinese opera <laughs> it's like one or the other and don't get me wrong like they're hit makers they've got so much money behind mm-hmm. them they're massively invested in some really cool visuals and and stuff, and I love K-pop stands for what they've yeah. done, especially with like <laughs> the BTS ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like you know the things they get behind, and it's really yeah. great. But there's so much out there. Like just for instance, even just putting together the um, set for the Vinyl Factory, 
was um, eye-opening because I'd, I'd picked up this vinyl in Malaysia and Singapore and stuff that wasn't, you know, they obviously had pop machines out there and it was very, you know, EMI the, mm-hmm. and the, sort of the big record labels were heavily pushing English language music as a kind of part of the whole colonial vibe, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, and or they would get um, the local pop stars to sing covers of those songs, yeah. but in their own, own local, local dialect or whatever. But actually what came from that and from kind of Asia opening up and everything was this incredible influx of different styles. So, for instance, there is so much amazing Asian Latin fusion. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> So you'll hear, uh, like, so one of the tracks that I played is a Singaporean lady who's partially blind, Sharifa mm. Noor and the Dengan Playboys. And she sings Hindustani Islamic folkloric music, but then it goes into, like, fusion oh. with cha-cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> if of you course. can even imagine that. <laughs> like, but it, it sounds incredible. Like, it's, and, yeah. and it's a sound that, Latin music was massive in Hong Kong, especially like Bruce Lee was a cha-cha-cha champion before mm. he was even was a martial he? artist. Yeah, he was oh like a God. ballroom champion in cha-cha-cha. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> isn't it crazy? Um, because it was so big. And so then they had all this incredible influence of of different music that was coming through and then being absorbed into local languages and styles like I said like the Hindustani Islamic folkloric styles and then they kind of melded and created this incredible music which I I feel is so untapped and so yeah just waiting to be found and I can't can't wait yeah no you have to keep you have to do this I need to hear (laughs) cha-cha-cha yeah yeah but like with the sitar over the top you know That's amazing. If you do a career one, I want to I want to join in on the on the research. Yeah, of course. I'd love yeah. that. That would be really great. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And thanks for letting me rabbit on for so long. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone follow Alice and also follow at ESEA.sisters on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Alice. I'll be back next week, so make sure you subscribe, follow, and rate the show to keep posted on new episodes. You can also get in touch with me at Don't Call Me Exotic Pod and at ONEO on Instagram. Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye!